From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm Jeff Leon. So one of the most basic things that every tax pro learns is that businesses can deduct their expenses from their taxes. It's so fundamental because it helps businesses avoid owing more in taxes than they earn in profits. And pretty much every business has the ability to do this. Well, almost every business. Because of a provision in the federal tax code called 280E, businesses that sell controlled substances can't get this tax deduction. For the cannabis industry, an industry that's been steadily growing in size and scope for years, this is a big problem. We wanted to learn more about how the tax code is affecting this industry. To do that, we turned to Iran Hopkins and Jonathan Robbins, attorneys with the law firm Ackerman, the part of the firm's cannabis industry practice. Robbins explained to me why 280E exists and the rationale behind it. This goes back to the Ronald Reagan era, the war on drugs era. Drugs are menacing our society. They're threatening our values and undercutting our institutions. They're killing our children. Uh, and, and the IRS tax code provision 280E was specifically amended or added in 1982 uh, in response to a tax court case uh, where the court effectively allowed uh, a business owner, in this particular case, the, the business was trafficking of drugs, and we're not talking about marijuana, we're talking about cocaine and other drugs of that nature, uh, whereby the defendant in that case was effectively allowed to take standard business deductions. That resulted in the addition of Section 280E to the tax code that effectively held that businesses can't deduct expenses from their gross income when that business involves trafficking a Schedule One or Schedule Two controlled substance. This poses a ton of challenges for cannabis businesses, some obvious, some less so. To say that 280E has been a thorn in the side of cannabis entrepreneurs would be a major understatement because as a practical matter, the only the only deduction that you can effectively take as a cannabis business owner would be uh, the cost of goods sold rather than the traditional types of uh, deductible expenses, employee compensation, retirement plans, taxes, interest, insurance, rental expenses, utilities, and the like. So the net effect of that is that cannabis businesses are, are paying tax rates that are 70% or higher, where you would see other similar businesses that are not involving uh, Schedule One or two controlled substances that are paying, in many cases, a third of, of, uh, of the taxes that cannabis-related businesses are paying. So uh, many companies are absolutely losing money by virtue of the application of 280E, and it's making it virtually impossible to turn a profit in this particular industry. All of this has forced cannabis businesses to get really creative when it comes to their accounting. For example, Iran says some businesses designate a defined percentage of their store expressly for inventory. That way, they can deduct the percentage of the rents as cost of goods sold. It's just one example, she says, of the ways the tax code makes cannabis businesses do way more financial planning than your average firm. If you don't plan your business transactions appropriately, you could be liable for more than you even make. So as the cannabis industry grows and matures, 280E is something it's going to have to deal with. But now we have a new administration in Washington with a new Democratic president. Surely the IRS under the Biden administration will address this problem, right? Well, probably not. There's a case pending before the Supreme Court right now that calls into question the IRS's enforcement of 280E. 
The Solicitor General indicated that the IRS has no intention of scrapping the provision or changing the way it's enforced. Robin says IRS audits are just a way of life for cannabis businesses. Again, the IRS has actually made it very, very clear that they take a very strong stance on enforcing the clause, auditing marijuana businesses regularly, and hitting them with hefty bills for back taxes if they take deductions that the agency deems improper. It's a fact. The IRS has taken the position. If you're a cannabis business, you're going to be audited. For her part, Hopkins says she recommends to her clients that they start saving every document they create from the moment they open up shop, because an invoice from year one may get audited in year seven. It is chaotic and requires careful planning because it's just a tornado that like leaves people standing there dumbstruck. So what's the solution? If we want cannabis businesses to exist and be able to make a profit, Robin says we have to start at the root cause. First and foremost, it would be uh, or the easiest way to do it would be to, to deschedule or reschedule uh, cannabis. But I don't see that happening as quickly, perhaps, as, as other policy reform like the Safe Banking Act allowing access to financial institutions. So uh, my hope is that there's going to be a snowball, a snowball effect and there'll be uh, you know, a, a baby steps at the beginning that will ultimately roll their way down to uh, complete cannabis reform. And, and candidly, I think that's the only way you're going to see uh, 280E go away without a just straight up amendment to the tax code. However, Robbins doesn't think removing 280E is necessarily the right thing to do. He's actually sympathetic to its original purpose, which was to combat money laundering by traffickers of hard drugs. But what he doesn't like is what he sees as the federal government's hypocrisy. It more or less allows cannabis businesses to exist, but it then taxes them into oblivion. I find it super inequitable because while I understand the the sort of uh, legislative history and the purpose behind it, and I have no fundamental issue with that. I find it frustrating that the federal government on the one hand takes the position that, okay, uh, yes, cannabis is still a Schedule One controlled substance, but uh, we are not going to enforce that. We're not gonna make that a DOAJ, DOJ enforcement priority. And we're gonna kind of let the states do what they want as long as you know it's highly regulated and and, and safe and, and consumer safety is a, is a priority. Uh, on the other hand, we're going to collect taxes, we're going to make money off of this, and we're not going to put companies in a position where they can actually be profitable, or many of them where they can actually be profitable. Uh, you, you can't have your cake and eat it too. So the federal government either has to take the position that we're going to allow these businesses, and if we do, they should enjoy the same rights and protections as other businesses, or we're going to start enforcing federal law and we're not going to allow states to enact cannabis programs. For her part, Hopkins agrees. She doesn't see 280E as intrinsically wrong. It's just the wrong way to crack down on legal drug trafficking. From my perspective, the, it's the wrong tool for the job. We should clean up, you know, change that mistake or recognize the need to fix it, take it away and find another tool for the job. That was Iran Hopkins and Jonathan Robbins, attorneys with the law firm Ackerman. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. And if you have any thoughts about what you just heard, or really anything else, get in touch with us on Twitter. We use the handle at tax. Talking Tax is produced by myself, Jeff Leon, and David Schultz. Patrick Ambrosio is our editor. Josh Block is our executive producer. From Washington, I'm Jeff Leon. Thanks for listening. 
My name is David Schultz, and I'm here to announce On the Merits, a new podcast from Bloomberg Law that brings you everything you need to know about the biggest legal stories of the week, coupled with smart interviews and analysis on a variety of topics, such as the incoming Biden administration's judicial priorities. So I think diversity is is kind of the watchword here. We'll also keep our eyes on the Supreme Court. Now everyone is on Breyer watch. We're all watching to see when or if Justice Breyer is going to step down. You'll hear voices and perspectives from across the legal industry, including reporters and editors, attorneys, legal scholars, general counsel. But lest you think this podcast is all just news you can use, from time to time we stumble on a court docket or legal opinion that, for whatever reason, just piques our interest. And he started this opinion, 224th of it, citing the Passchendaele battle. It's one of the largest battles of World War I. Um, that seems like a strange way to start off an opinion on corporate law. You can download On the Merits wherever you get your podcasts.